Welcome back to the New Mexico Rising podcast. This is your host, Amanda Aragon, Executive Director of New Mexico Kids Can. We hope we find you happy, healthy, and well-rested after the holidays. I myself am recovering from a little bit of a cold, so I hope you stick with us through this podcast today. I'm so excited that today's episode is the official kickoff to our first semester of the New Mexico Rising podcast. As we've previously discussed in our first episodes, we will be hosting semesters of our podcast, a spring semester and a fall semester with a break for summer in between. Each semester, each month, we'll release two episodes, and we hope that you tune in to them all. Speaking of our first two episodes, if you're just tuning in, head back to our feed after this episode to catch our first two. In our first episode, we chatted with Albuquerque Public Schools board member and education policy expert, Danielle Gonzalez. In our second episode, we talked with Yasin Armstrong, vice chair of the governing board for Sydney Gutierrez Charter School in Roswell, New Mexico. With that said, on to today's episode. I'm thrilled to introduce you to today's guest, Matt Montano, superintendent of Bernalillo Public Schools. Matt Montano is the superintendent of the District of Bernalillo Public Schools, beginning his role in August 2021. In this role, he has reorganized the entire leadership team to support an aggressive strategic plan that will transform the learning outcomes of a diverse student population, representing seven sovereign indigenous pueblos and eight Hispanic communities. Prior to his current role, Mr. Montano served as the Deputy Commissioner of the Office of Special Populations and Monitoring at the Texas Education Agency, that's Texas's version of the PED, where he oversaw areas of special education, English learner support, and highly mobile and at-risk students. Mr. Montano also served as Deputy Secretary of Teacher and Teaching and Learning at the New Mexico Public Education Department, overseeing language and culture, teacher quality, special education, and career and technical education. In his role, he oversaw the development and implementation of culturally, linguistically, and sustaining practices to support the diverse students of New Mexico. This work was embedded with the NM Teach teacher and principal support programs. Throughout his career, Mr. Montano has always placed students at the first at the forefront of his leadership, something I have seen firsthand. He sees reform of the public education system as the single greatest opportunity to create equitable access for traditionally underserved students. He started as a substitute teacher while an undergraduate student within the Bernalillo public school system. He served 16 years in the district as a classroom teacher, department chair, assessment coordinator, assistant principal at Bernalillo Middle School, and as principal at Bernalillo High School. Matt graduated from the University of New Mexico, Go Lobos, with a bachelor's degree in history and religion, and received his Master of Arts in Special Education from the College of Santa Fe, with an emphasis on ED and BD students. He is the proud father of Gabriela, Sofia, Antonio, and Lucia. Superintendent Montano, welcome to New Mexico Rising. Well, Amanda, I'm privileged to be here to be able to be on this podcast with you. I really uh, am honored to be able to share the share the mic with you. Well, this I'm time. so thank you. Thank I'm you even more me. honored that this is your first <laughs> podcast. I think you should have your own podcast. Uh, there's so much in your bio that we could dive into, and so many different lines of communication that we could explore today. But I suppose maybe starting at the beginning makes sense. Yeah. So I know that you're so committed to Bernalillo 
um, which is so cool to see in a superintendent. But that didn't start from anywhere. So you were a student at Bernalillo Public Schools. Let's start there. What was that experience like for you as a student? You know, as I think for all of us, uh, we go through our educational uh, system, whether it's uh, public schools, private schools, homeschool, and, and you don't really understand the experience you're having until the end result either ends up getting you where you want to be or not getting you where you want to be. And, and you have like these moments in time or these milestones that you hit and you come to a realization. Um, I actually had a really fun uh, school experience. Um, I enjoyed school. Um, you know, I, it's hard for me to think about it from what I thought about school at that time, knowing what I know about teaching and learning now without reflecting about, about the teaching and learning experience. So, um, I had some amazing teachers and I had some less than stellar teachers, uh, at the same time, uh, throughout my experience. And so, um, it, you know, going through the, the school system, what I learned after the fact, especially when I got to the University of New Mexico, was um, I hadn't been challenged the way that I could have been challenged. And in at least not across the board. In certain classes, I got challenged really, really well. But, but in many classes, I didn't get challenged. And I was highly successful. So I was an A student. But what did that say about me as a student in comparison to other students? Or if I'm competing with other students across the country for the same types of scholarships, what, is that, what does that do for me? Um, and so um, when I got to the university, it, it, that realization came through. Uh, what I learned was, um, and this has probably been more as an adult that I learned, is uh, the term or the phrase that uh, uh, President Bush used when uh, No Child Left Behind was passed, um, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Um, we had well-intentioned teachers, principals that were serving us in, in the Bernalillo schools when I was growing up, um, but but in in many ways, their expectations were low of us because we came from, you know, fairly difficult uh, backgrounds, right? We came from pretty extraordinary poverty, uh, tough situations um, across the board from all the communities that 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 um, that serve uh, that are served by Bernalillo Public Schools, and so I kind of came to the realization that our school system, um, as much as I have, I, I was able to overcome some of those things, didn't adequately prepare. For, prepare me for that. And, and, and I think the biggest way that that came to fruition is when I was sitting in my English 101 class. And um, I'm sitting there and, and there are a bunch of freshmen, you know, 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old freshmen um, that are coming from pretty much mostly New Mexico schools and mostly Albuquerque area schools. And what I learned really quickly is I was just as smart as all of these students and maybe, maybe even smarter than some of them. Uh, but I didn't know as much as they did. And that was the most humbling realization that I'd ever had. Like, how is it that I didn't know what these students knew, but I was as smart as they were. And, uh, and, uh, and over, over the next two, three semesters, it, it became clear that it was that my school system didn't set me up for that, for that adequate, equitable access. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. There's so much overlap, um, in some of our podcast episodes. So so far. Um, Danielle and I talk a lot about how much, if you were the type of student that I think you were, that I was, that Danielle was, you're an A student, school as a system, as it's designed works for you, then you go through and you're like, oh, I guess this worked. And it's not until sometimes later, that reflection that you were talking about that makes you go, wait a minute, this wasn't 
the same. And, and for me, it was, I remember getting to Tulsa and having a bunch of kids talk about, oh, did you do IB? And saying, I don't, I don't know what IB is. Because I think at that time, New Mexico, maybe, I don't even know if there was an IB program in New Mexico when I graduated in 2005. Um, but they had all been exposed to it at all the schools that they went to. And they had these IB diplomas. And I didn't even know what it was. And I know you've had similar experiences like that, too. So um, I appreciate your ability to reflect on where you've been and how you want to move forward in this new role. Well, I, I also want to make clear that we had some shining stars um, in in my K-12 experience. Miss Ruiz was my sixth grade teacher, amazing teacher. And one of the things that became very clear about the difference between her and, and other teachers is she never let me opt out of anything. Um, and and if, if you didn't do it on time, you were still going to complete it and you were going to get less of a grade, but you were still going to complete it. And it was just this amazing, tenacious um, advocacy of us. But we thought of her as being mean just because you're kids and she's holding you accountable. Um, and But we never challenged that. We, we actually just, we rose to the occasion. And so I think about Miss Ruiz in, in, in that area. I think about... Mr. McElhaney in my high school um, career, or even my high school basketball coach, Coach Grego, those are those are people that didn't let us opt out. And I think about, and, and obviously I'm tainted a little bit because I have more knowledge about the educational system as a whole, but I think about what would have been the impact had I had that across the board, every single grade, every single class that I attended where there was that kind of tenacity of expectation, and of not letting me get by because I was going to be lazy. And, and, um, and I have great parents, right? I, I have really good parents, but my parents are like very traditional New Mexico parents. They say the schools are going to take care of our kids. And my parents really depended on the schools to do what they were supposed to do they, because that's the way they were raised. And, um, you know, uh, now we know more, so we do more, right? And, and I, I, so I don't want to just say that that, that wasn't available in the school system, but if it had been more universal and more ubiquitous for every student, and 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 actually for me, because I was able to overcome, I have some of the background characteristics that help us to overcome. I, I come from a two-parent family. I come from pretty pretty good structures and, and so forth. We were not wealthy by any means, but I you know we we were privileged in our community, if you if you will, and um, and but when you think about the kids that don't have those support networks. Um, or the discipline, and they have those holes. Think about how every single hole creates a bigger hole for them as they move forward. And and that's been the complexity of, of trying to solve this educational system. Yeah. Speaking of the work that you have at hand of trying mm -hmm. to solve all of the, and fill all the holes in Bernalillo Public Schools, let's start, let's go back to a little bit before that. Um, what led you to become a teacher and start this journey towards superintendent? Well, it was really uh, probably two things. Um, that that experience, that actual realization, it was. It's very clear. I can actually remember sitting in class in English 101 one day, next to a, uh, one of my classmates, Martin, who was from Escalante, and we were kind of both in the same situation. And us having this conversation, it became really clear that um, that there was inadequate preparation. And at that point, I started thinking maybe I got to be part of the change in this. And I hadn't made that that clear uh, determination. 
Um, but as I continued moving on, I, I was kind of toying with different majors. And then I finally said, well, I really like studying history. And, um, and I thought, well, you know what? I, I can teach history. You, you know, I mean, there's not much you can do unless you go get a PhD with history, unless you teach it and, and so forth. And I said, maybe I can, I can be part of this change um, and become a history teacher. So um, that became kind of like how I set myself out. And it, it was really interesting, um, and I don't want to <laughs> undermine systems, but there's reality and there's the, the data that tell us what that, those realities are. Um, at the time that I made that change to history and determining that I was going to become a high school history teacher, which by the way, didn't happen until this past fall semester when I became a high school history teacher because I, was a, I allowed myself to teach it. <laughs> um, and we could talk about that a little bit later, but... Um, one of the things that, that was really interesting to me is I made a, a decision at that point, and I obviously didn't know much about the education system, at least from a system standpoint, that I wanted to get a degree in history and not in education. Because in my mind, I felt like I would be better prepared if I knew the content, and then I just learned on the job how to become a better teacher because I could, I could learn that while I was doing it. I didn't know that, you know, 25 years later, I would be overseeing the process that could possibly reform teacher preparation with the same mindset still. I still actually believe in that, right? I still believe I want people to have content area and then schools to train teachers, because I actually think that that's where we get the biggest bang for our buck. Um, I think Teach for America is actually solve that issue. Um, and I know there's a lot of criticism around that. Um, but I think that there's, there's some aspects to that. So, um, I think that's one of the main areas. Um, the other, uh, so I think those two things, you know, learning that I was ill-equipped, um, at the beginning and then wanting to teach history, but then also wanting to serve my community. I really always wanted to come back and do something on behalf of the community and didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but I just knew that I could be an agent of change in, in the Bernalillo community. Did you ever think that you would be superintendent? Like was that, when, how long into your career was it before that first time that you were like, oh, maybe I want to be superintendent of this district someday? I I actually, um, so there's, there's another story to that. So I'm, I'm a reluctant administrator. Um, I, I loved teaching. Um, and a matter of fact, uh, me teaching this past fall semester is, it was so reinvigorating to me, um, gave me so much more optimism about what we can do as educators, all the tools that we have as educators that I didn't have when I was in the classroom. Um, so when I became an administrator, uh, it was after 11 years in the classroom and it was very reluctantly, we had had assistant principals, uh, in and out of our middle school. I was a middle school. I'd been a brilliant middle school my entire career as a paraprofessional, as a substitute, and, and then as a teacher. Um, and we'd had assistant principals, the same principal, but assistant principals. Every year, we'd have a new assistant principal. And so finally, after year 11, um, Mr. Alan Tapia was the, the principal at the time. He said, hey, Matt, like, I just need consistency. Would you be willing to do it? And I said, you know, I, I don't really want to be an administrator. So... I, I finally, you know, kind of conceded to him and said, I'll, I'll do it, but I'll do it for three years so we can create consistency. And after that, I want to go back to the classroom and do what I was doing. And he said, um, he said, he said, okay, agreement. 
Lo and behold, that never happens. After three years, I get recruited to take over the, the high school principalship. And I actually thought I was going to retire there. Um, I, in, in my mind, that was like the, the job that I wanted. And I didn't even know I wanted it. I never aspired to be a principal. But, and I hadn't been at the high school level since I w- was in high school myself. But I was like, this is a good landing spot. I think I can do this and I'll, I'll, I'll just finish this and however long I can, I can do this. And, you know, over the two years that I was there, we, we improved our, our math test scores. Our, at that time, we were a standards-based assessment. We improved by 300% and we improved our um, reading test scores by 15% over a two-year period. And so I really felt the momentum still at that point, never had an aspiration to go to the district office. I was at the principal level. You still can be connected to students. You can still uh, see them on a daily basis, all, all of those things. And so that was never an aspiration on, on, until, um, when in the spring of 2011, uh, Hannah Scandera visited my high school. And, uh, at the time that she visited my high school, she just wanted to be in, Literally, the reason why she came to Bernalillo High School was she wanted to, she had an appointment in Albuquerque and she wanted to visit a career technical education school that was close to her being able to get back on I-25 to get to Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. And so we made an arrangement. I had never met her before. And at the end of her meeting, she asked, is there anything, and we had school board members there and so forth, is there anything you would like uh, for me to take back. And I, and I, and it was in the middle of the legislative session. And I said, you know, uh, Madam Secretary, if, if you would, uh, ask the governor to veto a bill. And she said, what bill is that? And I said, well, in 2008, the legislature passed the high school graduation assessment requirement. And this past session, the legislature just passed a moratorium on that assessment, um, for at least one more year, um, or for two more years, um, before it goes into effect. And what I would ask is that you ask the governor to veto that because we've been prepared for this. And right now we're passing out paper diplomas and we don't even know if those mean anything. We just know a lot of kids are getting diplomas and we don't know what that value is. And at least this high school graduation assessment will give them um, value, some value, right? Some measurement. And uh, a week later, I got a call from her chief of staff saying she'd like to talk to you about working for her. And I was like, oh, okay. So that led to the recruitment. And I actually told Hannah no. Um, after I went through the whole vetting process, which is an ugly process, as you yep. know, mm-hmm. it's time consuming and so forth. <laughs> and then uh, at the end of it, I was really excited by what I was doing at the high school. But um, you never tell Hannah no, as you know. And I got a phone call from her and she's, and all of a sudden I just hear her Matt. And it was like this daunting voice on the other side. And then she, I didn't actually say a word for like 45 minutes. And she told me every reason why the move to the public ed department uh, was the right move. And I, I think it was probably a couple years after I was at the public ed department that I started saying, well, maybe this superintendent role, you know, when I, when I move on from PED, the superintendent role is a is a good role for me because I, I primarily worked with superintendents across the state, um, during the, the seven and a half years that I was there. And I felt like the work was, I was able to move them in a direction, um, that, that was meaningful. And I thought, well, maybe I could fill that role as well. And I think that's kind of where I first started thinking, okay, the superintendency and really the superintendency in Bernalillo became like 
that would be my my destination point at whatever whatever time period that that was going to be. Yeah, I'm just like I I think about so much of what you just said, and there's so many things that we could jump into. Certainly, it feels a little bit like Groundhog's Day on mm-hmm. the on the graduation requirements and. Are we going to test? Are we not going to test? Um, so maybe we can have you back during legislative session to do a, a guest spot on all the things that we know are coming up about graduation requirements and assessments. Um, but really, I want to say, Matt, like having had the privilege of knowing you for as long as I have, um, and when I was undergoing the same process that you are talking about, and I remember, I think my first interview at PED was actually in your office, mm-hmm. and I couldn't read you at all. Um so I, I was like, I don't know if this guy wants me to get this job or not. Um, but building the relationship that we were able to build over that work and just seeing the incredible amount of work that you did on behalf of students that I oftentimes don't think um, you get the credit for which you deserve. Um, it is so cool to see you in the spot that I know that you can create like incredible impact for the community that you care about the most. So let's mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. You've been superintendent in Bernalillo for about a year and a half. How's it been so far? Uh, it's been it's been an amazing journey. Um, you know, they, there's the old adage: uh, you can't be a prophet in your own in your own town, right? And uh, it's it's I think it's actually beneficial that I left the the community for for a number of years for my own professional development, my own development uh, um, in in many ways. Uh, but, but it's also, it's also been, you know, a little bit daunting because, uh, not many superintendents live the experience of their kids. Right. Um, and the fact that I live the experience of my kids, I can't walk into an establishment in the town of Bernalillo, whether it's church or whether it's the range or whether I'm running down the street and I see somebody and not look at, or at Starbucks and see somebody and, and not think about, are we doing right by you? And I'll use a kind of a story when, when I went back, uh, when I was the high school principal and the reality of the systems that we have in place or, or, or that we had in place and that we continue to kind of still allow to uh, exist in our, in our education system is um, after I'd already resigned my position, it started at the public ed department and um, it was a Saturday. I'd gone to the Home Depot there in, in Rio Rancho and uh, walked, walked in and I saw a student that I had just handed a diploma about three weeks earlier. And he's sitting at the kiosk applying for a job. And by the way, I worked at the Home Depot for 10 years. So I I know that role as well. Um, and he's applying for a job and his mom's standing by his side. And I, I went up to them and, and, you know, kind of not really actually understanding what was happening, but I went up to him just to greet him and, you know, said hi. And, and he looked at me like kind of like almost embarrassed. And then his mom looked at me with kind of the same, the same affect. And uh, I said, what are you up to? And they said, oh, we're, we're applying for a job. And what I quickly realized was he couldn't apply for the job without his mom's help. And it was like just this big slap in the face to me saying, like, we just gave this kid a diploma and he's not prepared to to apply for a job at the Home Depot. Um, and and I, I think now coming to the point that I am is I, I see that in my kids every day. Um, and, you know, whether they're in pre-K and 
they're running up to me and pre-K kids, they have no boundaries, right? So like <laughs> you walk into the classroom, they write one right up to you. If, if you ever are having a tough day and you want to get out of that tough day, go to Bernalillo, go to La Escolita, I'll take you in and a group of five kids will run up to you and they'll hug you. They don't have a clue as to who you are. Um, but you walk in and, and you see like these kids come from, you know, uh, historic poverty, from generational poverty. Um, they come from enormous riches of tradition and language and culture and religion and all of those things. And we lower expectations because of the things that they don't have instead of raising our expectations because of all the things that they do have. And, um, and I just see my students and I, I call them my kids. Matter of fact, somebody the other day was saying, well, Matt, your kids, like your children that you, that, that have your last name or your kids in school. And I said, my kids in school. <laughs> and I just see, it's like daunting to look at them like that. Right. And so I see that, um, regularly, uh, I got to teach, like I said, U S history first, first semester. And, um, I think like it, as much as I want to be able to, like, I want, I want high school juniors to love history. Like I loved yeah. history as a high school junior, <laughs> but they just don't, right? Like not everybody. There were a couple of them that were really into it. Um, at the end of the day, they, I give them a 360 survey, uh, to, uh, to give about, about me as a teacher. And, and there were two questions that they answered. One of the, the questions was regarding, uh, having high expectations of them. 95% of them said that I have high expectations of them and that, that they felt very challenged. The other thing was that I cared about them and what they, what they were doing on a day-to-day -day basis, but also their success. And 95% of them said that, that that was strongly agreed with that. And I want an education system that that becomes ubiquitous. That is what every student receives from every single adult in the system, um, whether it's the teacher, whether it's a paraprofessional, whether it's the principal, um, you should know every kid's name, right? Like we should be like cheers, right? Like you walk into the classroom, like a kid walks into the classroom or in the building and everybody knows your name, not because you're the troublemaker or because you're the superstar, but because you have something to offer to this society and you have something to offer to this community. So, um, I think that that's kind of, if, if you ask me like, what is the, the experience been, it's just the overwhelming daunting aspect of that commitment to this community. And I think some people in roles like yours feel like the weight of what you just said, like positioning yourself as the person leading the work to help every child in your community meet their potential is heavy. And a lot of people, I think, kind of um, do the opposite of you, kind of like put walls up to say, like, I can't carry that around, so I'm just going to focus on the systems of the job. Um, but I think that makes you a better leader. I think it makes you the perfect leader for Bernalillo right now to know what's at stake. Um, and I might feel that way because, you know, my grandfather was born and raised in Bernalillo. And so I have deep family ties to Bernalillo and believe that the kids of Bernalillo are just as bright and smart and able to meet their potential as kids in Hobbs or in the northeast sides of Albuquerque and knowing that they have someone in their corner who sits in the superintendent's office is um, an incredible gift. And it's, mm -hmm. it's super uplifting for me as well. So since you've started your work um, as superintendent, what are you most proud of so far? 
So I think the there are a few things that I'm I'm, I'm proud of. I we did a reorganization, um, and I you know I'm from the community, but I've lived away from the community for three and a half years, but really kind of been away from the community as far as like my day-to-day work for 12 years before I came back. And I think that um, coming in, I, I have a lot of ideas and assumptions about the community, the people within the community, the people within the school district. Many of them are people that I'd worked with before. Um, and I, But I didn't want to jump to conclusions and I didn't want to just move on those assumptions without kind of verifying what my thoughts were and, and, and looking at what the data could tell us. Now, unfortunately, we, don't have, we didn't have great data in the most recent years, so I was having to go back to the 2018-19 year for the best data I could find when it came to like academic achievement. But also to um, kind of the mindsets of our, of our community, of our school community specifically, and, and what, they were, what they were looking for. And what it became very clear was that they, they really, the, the school really wanted change. At least they said they did. But, you know, when I started the reorganization in March of this year, um, we, you know, we, we started the reorg to, um, to happen for the, for, for the 22-23 school year. Um, and I had to have a personal conversation with every person impacted and said, there is a likelihood that you're not going to have a job with the Bernalillo district next year. I'm not saying that you're not, but there's a strong likelihood. And I, and, and I didn't send out an email saying that, that you're part of this or whatever. I met with every single individual. I looked them straight in the eye and said, this is, and this is why we're doing this. And I had data support what we were, including feedback from the community as a whole. I think the fact that we've been able to go through that process in a humane way, in, in reorging is something I've done a few times now um, over my career, um, in for people to be able to walk away from, from the district and know that they were treated humanely and respectfully, but also for people to come into the district and know that this is a different game that we're playing. This, we're not on the same playing field anymore. We're going to step our game up and we're going to be at a, at a different level. Um, and be able to do that in such a short amount of time um, with, not to say there wasn't any disruption. Matter of fact, I always really struggle with the, the number of disruptions that, that were created. I'm really proud of that because I, I do believe that I've recruited some people that are knowledgeable about our community, um, people that have come within the school system that never saw a thought that they would ever be a principal or an assistant principal and now are assistant principals and principals. and and we're seeing transformational change starting to occur, like the beginning aspects of that. Um, I'm really proud of that. Um, I'm, I'm really, really proud of the fact that um, our high school principal, uh, for the first time in the history of that high school, we have an indigenous principal. We have had, um, as far as I know, two indi- indigenous assistant principals, but now the lead principal is indigenous. And I think it's really critical when you're serving 51% indigenous students to have that. And she's as much of uh, of an outcomes person as I am, so that's you know that's how you got on the team, right? You mm-hmm. have to you have to have that kind of mindset. Um, um, so I, I'm really proud of that. And then I also think like you know I know that that the rest of the state's struggling, and I'm not to, I don't want to downplay this because we're we are struggling with it um, with enrollment, um, but we're back to our pre-COVID enrollment, and most of the state's not there. 
And so I'm, I'm proud of that because I think people are starting to see what we're, we're going to be offering for them. And, um, and they're seeing the value and what we can do as a, as a community school. So I think those are things that I'm happy about. I just want to circle back and make sure that everyone understands what you're saying is you reevaluated and replaced in some schools every single principal and assistant principal for every school in Bernalillo. We replaced 80% of our leadership at our school and our district office. And you feel like you came out of that process with better leaders in place and a, an actual, I think, from our conversations, a, a positive morale district-wide, which I think is really challenging to do with that much change. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we're on the, on the upswing. I would, I would say that morale was a little bit difficult in September. Mm-hmm. Um, but morale is something you work at, right? Like I actually – like. You can't be accidental. Everything needs to be intentional. And uh, one of the things that that um, that I I believe in is don't shy away from it. If you know that people are upset about things, take it head on and don't become defensive about it. Like listen, learn, and adjust. And and so um, I think September we we were right probably at the deepest rut that we had with morale. And that was you know it's kind of like that. You're, you had so much change. Everybody had new principals, essentially. And um, district office, we had new leaders in district office. And so people were getting used to those things. And then we're also trying to flesh out systems issues that we have, processes that are broken that we needed to solve for. And those things get fleshed out when you fail, not because you're successful, right? Mm-hmm. So when you see a process, like even a pay- payroll process, like we were still – we're. We were still doing some payroll things that were paper-based. When everybody else has gone to like these electronic systems, we were doing some paper-based timesheets. Mm-hmm. I was like, that makes no <laughs> sense to me. And that's not a criticism on anybody, but but it takes time to change that, right? And more and, change. And then you have people in different roles to, to learn that system. Um, so all of those things have been, you know, uh, difficult but I actually think that we've gone through them so quickly. I actually think like now in the spring, the the goal is to really fill the cup, the the, the every individual cup of, of our staff to make them feel the value that they have and so forth. But but I, I do think we're on the upswing when it comes to our morale. I think we're a matter of fact, I give a 360 feedback to um, to the entire uh, district. And you know, for the most part, people are pretty inspired by what we're doing. You're always going to have your naysayers. I'm not in this to make people happy. I'm in this to do the right thing and make the right decisions to the best of my ability. Um, and if people are not happy with it, but I know that I made it with integrity um, and with the best intentions of the students in our, in our community, then, then I feel good about those decisions. Before we transition to our rapid fire questions, I think there's a couple of things I want to hit on. One is you know, we haven't really gotten to talk about this. You alluded to it a second ago. Um, you're not happy with where Bernalillo is right now in terms of performance. And I, I don't think we've said that overtly. So I want to give you the opportunity to set, to talk a little bit about where you are today um, and where you hope to go and why that matters so much to you. So the, so the best data that we have that I, that I can rely on still goes back to the 2018-19 mm-hmm. uh, data um, where – uh, 5% of our students were proficient in math 
and 11% in reading. And, uh, and that is weighty, right? Because you have those students in your school still that in 2018, 2019, that's what they were demonstrating as their academic outcomes. And, and what that tells me is we've them up for long-term struggles as adults. Um, so not happy at all. And the only way you change that is to change the instruction, to change the expectations. And I know that there's a lot of debate around there or not. I don't know that there's debate. I think people are always looking for the silver bullet, right? And there is no silver bullet in this. It's hard work. It's intentional. And there are a number of evidence-based practices that need to be put in place. Um, and so what we're doing is putting those evidence-based practices in place, but meeting the needs of, of our student body, right? We have a very unique student body. I mean, we're probably the most unique student body that you can find in, in, in the state of New Mexico, probably the country. Not saying the most diverse, because we're actually not that diverse, right? We have Pueblo students and we have Hispanic students, and that's yep. kind of like who we have. Um, but it's unique in the composition that it, that it makes up. And, um, and if, we, if we don't reflect on those data from 1819 um, to really understand where we are, then, then, and we don't own it, then we're in big trouble. Um, where I don't think that, that uh, the state assessment is, is, the, is the only tale that we tell, um, I, I kind of liken it to the medical kind of profession, right? Like, like if, if you have extremely high blood pressure and you ignore it, then you're, you're, you're doomed for a stroke or a heart attack or something of that nature, right? So, you know, if we have this low proficiency and we don't do something about it, then we're doomed for the future that our kids are. And then we're also doomed as a school system to lose our students from those parents that say, hey, we have other options. And so I understand that we're in a free market of, of education. And I, I take that challenge with all kinds of, of emotion and, and, um, and I call it on because I'm saying like, we can be better, right? We can, we can be and do better um, and become the school district of choice for, for everybody. But what we're doing is we are, we're, we're raising the bar on our instruction. Um, we're, we're doing opportunity culture um, for some of our higher risk schools, um, specifically Santo Domingo and Algones schools, where we're actually creating multi-classroom leaders. These are the best of the best teachers that are going to be serving more students, but they're also going to be mentoring novice and or struggling teachers. So, so we, we serve multiple uh, components of that. Um, we're using uh, two different types of evaluation tools for our teachers. Um, and, and, you know, as you know, <laughs> evaluation and, and <laughs> I go back, oh, no. <laughs> uh, go back a little bit. Oh, no. Go back a little way. Our evaluation tools are, are tools, not, not gotchas. And one of them is the Elevate system because that's required by, uh, uh, by the state for us to use. But the other one is one that's designed by, the, by TNTP. And, and re the reason why I want to use that is not to put more workload on, on uh, the principals. But one of the things that the system, that, that the current Elevate system doesn't do quite effectively enough is it looks mostly at, at adult practices but it doesn't look at student practices or behaviors. And what TNTB does is it kind of looks at the student behaviors as a result of the adult behaviors, right? And when, when I was at the public ed department, we actually used to kind of really simplify the training for principals on how you, how you do an observation for a teacher. And we would actually tell 
principals, don't even look at your teachers until the last part of the, of the, of, of the observation. Like first look at your artifacts around, look at the walls, look at what they have for student work, look how they've designed their classroom. Second, look at student work and, and student behaviors. Go ask students what they're doing. Go ask them if they know what they're supposed to be doing. I do that every day and when I'm in classrooms. I, what are you doing? If they can tell me, like I'm like stoked because I'm going to go to the teacher and I say, they were able to tell me exactly what they were doing. And then look at your teacher behaviors, but mostly your student behaviors because your student behaviors are going to be resulting from what the teacher expectation instruction looks like. So um, that's kind of what we're doing by raising the game when it comes to our evaluation component for, for teachers. And it's not for a gotcha, it's for building them professionally. And then, and then the other thing is our leadership. We're really going to double down. As a matter of fact, we're kicking it off next week. Um, we didn't get a chance to do it this fall just because we've got a lot of things going into place and we had a whole new leadership team essentially. So, um, next Wednesday and Thursday, we're kicking off with our principals on their leadership development and, uh, doubling down on, on what the expectations and, and then how do we coach them? Um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that everybody, including myself needs a coach. So I, I have people around me that I go to for coaching all the time for advice, for, you know, uh, thought partnership. And we just need to build that kind of idea of, of growth mindset within all of our, our school community. If we do it with our adults, our students will learn it and the students will have the growth mindset and they'll be able to have that kind of grit to make it through these, these educational systems that we have. I love it. It's so refreshing to sit um, with the superintendent and hear a, a true assessment of where you are and like clear actions on where you're going. And I know it's taken a lot of work to get the board on board and to kind of move the district forward, but it's always so exciting to, to, to me to hear what your plans for Bernalillo are. And um, I love hearing about your kind of rising to the enrollment challenges, right? Because I think we still have some districts in the state that are like, oh no, I mean, we lost kids and we just, I guess we won't get them back. But you've taken a real hands-on approach of, People need to want to choose us. We have to give them a reason to choose our schools. And you're doing a great job. I'm so glad you're back to pre-COVID enrollment. Yeah. We're, it's an open market, right? And uh, including going to your home and doing like we have more homeschoolers, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we can't really as schools completely eliminate those parents' concerns around safety because mm -hmm. there are some safety issues that like are just ever present. Yep. And not to say that we can't do more I mean, like that. If, if you ask me what keeps me up at night, of all the things that keep me up at night, it's safety. Um, but but we can do more to, because I think parents want their kids to become part of a social community that has high expectations of academics as well as other social aspects. And we can be that and, and we can rise to that occasion. So, And to, to close out this portion, um, and maybe you can figure out how to do this in like two or three sentences. Mm -hmm. You've seen a lot in your time, particularly in Texas. So, like, what's the main difference you've noticed between New Mexico and not New Mexico, whether it's Texas or Boston or anywhere else that you've been or other superintendents that you've worked with? I, I think accountability. Um, the, you know, in, in uh, Texas, they, they have a school grading system. It's very clear. They, it's an A through F system. Um, obviously, the... The, the statistical models behind that A through F system are pretty sophisticated and they're not as transparent, but what ends up happening is a parent knows what an A means and knows what an F means, and, and that's meaningful to them. 
And so uh, I actually think that that changes the game. And if you look at, um, if, if New Mexico should be looking anywhere, it's not just Texas, but South Texas, mm-hmm. the border. So when we want to say any, that w- whatever we have uh, going against us in New Mexico, all the challenges that we have, the border of South Texas, El Paso, um, Brownsville, all of those areas, all across the border, they have the same types of challenges and yet they're overcoming them. So you, you'll look at, at uh, what we call region one in Texas. Um, I believe before I left during the last school grading uh, time, they didn't have a single school district getting below a C. Wow. And that's using the star test, which is, you know, kind of like the old, um, probably not, actually not as good as the, 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 um, park is the park assessment, probably at the level of the SBA assessment that we Mm -hmm. had, but, but maybe a little bit more rigorous, but not, definitely not the sophistication of park. Um, and yet you have those school districts just knocking it out of the ballpark. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's important, like proficiency, you know, if you take my communities and you measure them against other schools across the state, like if we're in a marathon, a lot of, of those kids start off at 20 miles in, my kids are still at the starting line, mm-hmm. right? Our school system is designed or should be designed to get them caught up to that 20 mile mark, right? As quickly as we can. Um, and that's what these kind of growth models that go into those accountability, which we had in our school grading. Like, yep. you, you know, you know, one of the things I'll say is when I came back to New Mexico, um, and I was well received by the superintendents. It was really actually humbling, but also like very gracious of them to, to receive me so well. But so many of them talked to me about the good old days when we had the school grades. And I was like, what? that's not <laughs> what I used to hear. <laughs> or the good old days of the NM teach training or, yep. or those kinds of things. But I, I do think that there was, there was anxiety at that time just because it was so different. Mm-hmm. But then when you let go of something good and now you have nothing and you can't really, you can't lay your hat on anything. I think people are frustrated with that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's now, it's now nebulous and, yeah. and you have more money than ever. in the system ever. And yet we we're not, we're not counting in, and the rationale that our kids are, are poor and, and so forth. That, that is again, going back to president Bush, the soft bigotry of low expectations, right? Like it's okay for us to hold ourselves accountable as adults for how our kids do. And if we don't, then we shouldn't be in our system. Yep. And I just, oh man, we, I said this so many times, there's so many things we could talk about, but I will just say New Mexico Kids Can joins you in a frustration about not having growth data about our schools, because if we want people to catch up, um, people who are still at the starting line, knowing that some schools are at the 20-mile mark. We have to know how fast they're growing. And until we get that data, which I'm very hopeful that maybe we will have um, this year, um, it's hard to know. It's hard to see the full picture with just proficiency. So I appreciate your your noting of growth. So let's let's switch into what we call our rapid-fire questions, just like quicker, fun questions as we wrap up. I, I think you may have said this already, but maybe it's a different answer. Who was your favorite teacher? Um, I, I have to say uh, Sam McElhaney uh, was my favorite teacher. He's a, a kind of an interesting guy. Um, so McElhaney, the McElhaney family used to have a dairy farm on Edith 
uh, here in Albuquerque, right? And people that are from Albuquerque will remember McElhaney's Dairy. And he was from that family. So he was a, he was a cowboy, right? He's a really slender cowboy and had these really thick lips. And he was a history teacher. And you'd sit in his classroom and he'd sit with these mesmerizing lips, just telling the story of history, right? And uh, it just just captured me when when uh, when I was uh, uh, when I was a high school student, but but one thing that he said to me, and it just kind of always resonated with me, partly because this was you know sometimes it's again going to that idea that you can't be a, a prophet in your own in your own town or your own community, and often kids don't listen to their to their parents, but they hear somebody else say, and they're saying, oh man, that makes sense. So when, when it was actually right before Christmas and it was the day before Christmas and, and I wished him a Merry Christmas and asked him to get rest, you know, or, or whatever. And it was my senior year and I was taking elective with him at that time. And, uh, and he, he said, uh, cows, cows don't know it's Christmas. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not a cowboy, but it, it, it totally meant something to me. It's like, yeah, there's no rest because you have to, you have to make ends meet, yeah. right? And it was, it was very similar to, to my high school basketball coach, Coach Grego, who um, no matter what, was there every Sunday for open gym, uh, was there every practice, was always sweeping the floor before as we were getting ready and so forth. And, and no matter what was happening um, in the world, in his personal world, he was always there for us. And I think that those are the two people that influenced me, right? Mr. McElhinney as a teacher and then coach, just because... They, they just work so hard and diligently. And they, I don't actually remember having a substitute in Mr. McElhinney's class. And I took like six classes with him, like a bunch of elective classes that I knew, mm-hmm. need. So I, w- I always think about that, right? So um, I get, I, those are the two people that stand out in my mind. I love it. Yeah. What's your go-to order at a New Mexican restaurant? And is it the range? Well, the range. Or maybe I should just ask you what your go-to order is at the range well, since that's like... Well, if you, <laughs> that's not New Mexico though. Um, that's like, true. It's not a New Mexico order. So I, I'll have uh, the Mediterranean salad with salmon. Ah, uh, yeah. But um, if, if you're asking me if I'm getting New Mexico, New Mexican food, so San Felipe um, Truck Stop oh. actually has one of the best restaurants and it's Huevos Rancheros. Delicious. With green chili. Good recommendation. Yeah. Uh, perfect timing too for everyone heading yeah. up to session. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what song do you listen to when you need motivation? It changes. Uh, right now, it's pretty much anything off of Midland. Oh. Uh, but but it could change. Did you uh, get to see them while they were here? I, I did not. Darn it, Matt. Uh, we should have got you tickets. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your hope for education in New Mexico? Um, m- you know, so, so I'll go back to my teaching experience this past fall. Um, I'm optimistic um, because I was with a group of 27 students for a semester and they are just as hungry for um, adult leadership, adult mentorship, adult advocacy, and high expectations as I ever remember. So when people say that kids have changed, they haven't changed. They just have more trauma that they've had to deal with. Or we recognize that they have more trauma, but they haven't changed. They still have all the aspirations. So my hope is that we realize that and we stop making excuses for why we can't. Um, and that we use this windfall of funding to hold ourselves accountable, to put the right resources in, to stop chasing the silver bullet, um, and to do the things that we know are right. We know that school leadership is the right thing to do. 
We know that teacher quality is the right thing to do. We know that great resources, instructional resources are the right things to do. And we need to double down on those things and make sure that we make them available for our, our schools. But then we have to hold ourselves accountable to that, right? And measure it. Um, I think if, if we don't, um, then I'm going to measure it. So I know that I'm going to hold myself accountable and we're going to hold ourselves as a district accountable. And my school board, I've asked them to hold me accountable. I've told them, I'm never going to ask for a raise unless it's based upon some kind of metric that I've met. Um, and so that's my hope, is that we move to that direction where we can catch up to other, other states. Mississippi is a perfect example. Mississippi, uh, when I started the public education department, Mississippi was right there with us. They're now 29th in the country when it comes to NAEP scores. That didn't happen by accident. That actually happened by running the playbook that we were running under, under Secretary Scandera and Governor Martinez. Um, and uh, I, I would hope that people can let go of, of the politics of it and recognize the, val- the validity of, of the work that, that's being done. Absolutely. I've, I think it would be so great if we can find a way to clip what you just said and send it to every legislator in New Mexico. Like, these are the things that it's going to take to transform um, our state, and you're doing them in Bernalillo. One more question before you go, because you're a basketball fan. And a Lobo. How do you think the Lobos are going to end the season? I'm like, I didn't go to UNM. I'm not. Someone the other day was like, you're such a bandwagon fan. I was like, I guess I am because I'm, I'm all in on Lobo basketball this year. So what? how do you think the season's going to turn out for well, the us? La- the last two games haven't been yeah. too hopeful, but okay. um, I, I think they'll step up. I, I, I think I actually am like I'm superstitious when it comes to athletics. So I think taking a couple of, of hits in the middle of the season is not the worst thing in the world. Um, I think tonight's game is going to be critical for them to build that confidence. But um, you know, I'm 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 pretty excited. Awesome. It's been it's been pretty cool to see them back in the winning in the in the winning area. So it has been fun. Yeah, Matt, thank you so much for being here today. I we're gonna have to have you back. There's so much more to talk about, I, and you I'm can come tell us about all the improvements that Bernalillo has with your next batch of data. I'm I'm actually that's what this week is data week. So we're gonna take a deep dive. So. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank thank you, Amanda. I appreciate it and really excited to be here too. All right. Well, as you know, at the end of each of our episodes, we do a quick highlight of any relevant education news that we think you need to know. So let's get to it. In case you missed it, Governor Lujan Grisham has announced a free tutoring program. The tutoring program will focus on mathematics, language arts, and science for New Mexico students from pre-K through eighth grade at Title I schools throughout the state. Tutoring delivery will be virtual and can be scheduled before, after, or during school. Each student that participates will receive 20 hours of tutoring free to families. You can find out more information about how to sign up by visiting the New Mexico Public Education Department website. We at New Mexico Kids Can have released a new report and a map that allows you to see how your child's school is doing. Through the research for our report, we learned a couple of things, including... We have 22 school districts that have less than 20% of their students on grade level in early literacy, and we have 35 school districts that have less than 20% of their students on grade level in math, according to the latest state assessment results. You can learn more and see data for your local school at nmkidscan.org backslash academic achievement 2022. You can also click on research and resources at the top of the NM Kids Can website and access it from there. Legislative session is right around the corner, and as I've said before, if we're going to improve New Mexico's education system, it will take everyone. 
Head over to NewMexicoKidsCan.org and subscribe to our emails and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all the ways you can engage with your legislators this legislative session. That's all we've got for you today. Thank you for joining us. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on social media at NMKidsCan to catch all the latest education news and hear about opportunities to use your voice to create change. Starting a new podcast is tough, so we'd appreciate you sharing this podcast with your friends, families, and colleagues. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.